I beg you, do not accept me as I am. Never accept me as I am. Please want something better for me. What you're looking at is a work in progress. I don't know about you, but when I was in college, which would have been in the early 70s, uh, I had a poster in my room, and I will tell you, embarrassedly, exactly what that poster said. That, that poster said, I'm not in this world to live up to your expectations, and you're not in this world to live up to mine. But if by chance we meet, it's beautiful. Right? <laughs> that was the poster. I thought it was a great banner of independence, and you just better accept me as I am, right? I'm not, I'm not here to live up to your expectations, but you're not here to live up to mine. I was young then, <laughs> and I had a lot of thoughts about self-acceptance, and something actually that did not come naturally to me. I was somehow always trying to prove that I'm important, and I have talents, and I'm still angry that in the eighth grade, Judy Chanel won the um, American Legion Award, and I'm sure I was number two, but uh, I should have gotten the American Legion Award. It was a great blow to my ego. Self-acceptance, trying to have people accept me to prove to myself that I'm a good person, huh? I, I hope I've shed some of that uh, snake skin. I've, I hope it's part of the past, but it still weighs on me. Huh? I th you know, I think, I think the uh, challenge of acceptance in our society right now and, and the kinds of debates that go on over um, acceptance of who someone is, whether uh, it's for sexual preference or for the color of their skin or for the the sex that they happen to be, uh, that, that a lot of that is such a crime against humanity precisely because it locks people in having to defend themselves. I'm okay as I am. I am okay as I am. And then they get the brunt of the sometimes the violent behavior of people who fight against who they are and then they have to continue to solidify and say, I am who I am. And it robs them. It robs them of the grace to move on, to move beyond the defense to something more important. Who can I be? <laughs> Not just, I don't want to stay who I am, huh? Uh, the the uh, LCWR with the wider lens, right, to the future. I mean, that we are on a journey, my sisters and brothers, a journey. We're walking, and in the mystery of God, I hope I know a little bit more of, about God the older I am uh, as that mystery unwraps in my life. But... Um, I don't know God totally. And, and the things we've been talking about with those sisters who are on retreat, that, that in so many ways, allowing God to be a mystery is allowing ourselves to recognize 
that we're still going to new lands all the time. And in the process, whether it be encountering Jesus and the gospel or, or encountering the Holy Spirit and the power of the Spirit in different ways, uh, as we meet our neighbor and they challenge us to another way of life, the new people that we meet, whether it be the forging of a community that we can never quite get right, but we keep learning how to live as one in that call. I mean, and then, of course, in the, in the mystery of forgiveness and learning how to forgive, making our clumsy way about that, and, and then knowing that the gift of time is something that I can't hold on to as it wraps and unwraps before me that mystery. God is mystery. And oh God, please keep calling me to new lands and helping me to shape myself into God's image. Huh? Remain in my love is the gospel invitation. You know, one of the, the, the beautiful things about St. Clair is, uh, is her, her sense that she grew in love. I mean, that first reading, obviously, from Hosea is that wonderful Old Testament image, the, the, the prophet of the heart, Hosea, right? Thank God for Hosea, that northern kingdom prophet who heard the Lord's sense that I want to draw Israel right, into the desert so that I can speak to her heart, right? In the desert where there's no pretense or no some, somehow sense of settling and to draw her to my heart. And through experience, that's what they learned, that God is with us. They learned it by the experience of the desert and their survival from it. I am drawing you. Um, I'm gonna, I don't want to distract with this, but my hair right now has gel in it right here. Okay. For the, for the second time, I gave a retreat a few weeks ago to the, uh, with the Syracuse Franciscans, and I was able to be with them. And uh, one of the sisters, for the first time in my life, said to me after one of the conferences, she goes, you know, you might want to put some gel in your hair, because the gel, the, your hair keeps falling down in your eyes, and it's really driving me bananas, you know? And I thought, okay, okay. Well, to be honest, I forgot about it this week. I didn't think about it. And someone blessed among you uh, mentioned to me yesterday, and not in any derisive way, a very kind way, so I, but she said, you know, your hair keeps falling down <laughs> in front of your eyes. I'm like, oh, God. Okay, so I've gel. So there's gel right there, and if it falls down, it's the gel maker's fault. What I should have done is look in the mirror, right? I should have probably looked in the mirror a little more often. And uh, so did Claire. So did Claire. She made sure she looked in a mirror. Um, I, I told some of you that my sister was in the convent. Uh, she professed vows in the missionary zealotresses of the Sacred Heart in Hamden, Connecticut in 1967. And uh, she taught for three years uh, in Regina Chaley in Brooklyn. Uh, but in any case, uh, 
she told me that her convent, uh, her community, did not have mirrors in the house, that uh, at uh, the novitiate, all mirrors were taken away, and uh, they, were, they saw mirrors as a, a vanity for women, and therefore they were not to ever look at themselves in the mirror. They had to kind of put their habit on uh, miraculously. And my, my sister told me that uh, she would often, uh, on the way to school at Regina Chaley, she said right outside the school was a glass door, and she always counted on the glass door to make sure that her wimple was on right or whatever it was. Now, I don't know about your community, or, uh, uh, but I think it was true for many women religious communities in the past and perhaps the distant past that that was uh, women were too vain about their appearance. And so you, we have mirrors all over the place in men's communities, but we never look at them, obviously. But anyway, so we, uh, uh, you know, there weren't allowed mirrors. And Claire didn't have a mirror at San Damiano. She did as a wealthy woman. Wealthy women had mirrors in the Middle Ages. And so did Agnes of Prague. She knew mirrors. They knew about dressing up. And they knew about looking at the mirror and having their hair straight and having their makeup on properly. It was the sign of a lady to be so well taken care of to make sure that she could be attractive and beautiful to others. She knew mirrors, but uh, she did not have a mirror at San Damiano. And neither did Agnes when Agnes of Prague asked to be part of Claire's life. That's what makes the mirror image so powerful. The mirror, when in her letters to Agnes, when she spoke, she talks about, look into this mirror, right? There was a mirror. And for Claire, the one mirror is the cross that's behind on the other side. It's this one right here. The, the only image that was at San Damiano was a cross that had been painted in that chapel of San Damiano. And she said, look upon this mirror every day. Look upon this mirror, the life of Jesus in this cross. And then, she, because for her, Jesus was three things, right? Jesus was humble, poor, and loving, right? She said, look into the mirror, uh, uh, Agnes. Look into the mirror, and she said, and, and on the outside of the mirror, the, the edges on the outside, what you'll see is God's immense humility for coming among us, the humbleness in which he took on the form of weakness and flesh. And, and, and as you get closer, that second layer, what you'll see is God's uh, poverty because he became human but he became weak, and in his earthly life, he, he, he was a baby, vulnerable. He grew up, and he was nailed to a cross, that, that in, intense humility of taking on human weakness. And at the very center of the mirror, you'll see love, 
the immense love where he gave his life so that we could join him in total gift, right? Immense love. That's the mirror that she says. And she says, dress your, uh, uh, in Latin, uh, and reach Armstrong in the translation, it's always adorn yourself. Well, adorn yourself does nothing to me. I think in English, American English, we'd say dress yourself up. Dress yourself up looking into that mirror, Agnes. Come on. The poverty, the humility, right? And the love, right? Look in the mirror and dress yourself up to what you see. Be transformed, as she said. Be transformed by looking at the one whom we love. Yeah, you have a quote outside, and I, I appreciate the fact that it says it's by St. Clair. It's not, but that's okay. We become what we love, right? We become what we love. That is by Timothy Johnson, by the way, and uh, Franciscans at Prayer, page 52. But, in, but anyway, it's a, it's, a lovely, it's a lovely image. We, we become who we love. And uh, one of the most difficult things, I think, of, about that is I don't look in the mirror enough. Huh? Uh, so often, just trying to defend who I am and what I am, and what, and the Lord said, no, I want to draw you into the desert, and I could show you, as St. Paul says, I can show you there that our surpassing power comes from God and not from us. If I stayed in eighth graders, sisters, I'd suck, really, as a preacher, really. I mean, you know, I... If, if I stayed a young adult, I don't know what you'd have before you today. But, um, and I wish that you could see the person I could be in 15 years with a little more practice. Huh? To be transformed and to constantly look in the mirror of Jesus to find that love, that poverty, that immense giving that says nothing's more important than walking toward our God espoused in love. You know, that, uh, that phrase about um, the uh, thrown into the fire, you know, the stay on in me, I, I used to kind of feel that was a kind of angry moment, you know. The, you know what they're going to do? They're going to gather them up and throw them into the fire. But it, it's really just logical, right? Some things just don't have any juice. And if it doesn't have any juice, you've got to cut it off and... Uh, the, the, by the way, the, uh, up in my hallway, there's this plant, and it's got this stem coming out. And it, I keep running into it because I, I keep trying to move that stem inside, and it's driving me bananas. So there, okay. But the um, uh, but, but the brand, it doesn't bear fruit. It just it's just sitting there, and so of course you cut it off. You, you get rid of it, huh? Put it in the fire. Forget about it. It. it it doesn't have any life to it. But gosh, attached to the vine, it keeps growing and changing and keeps receiving the life from light and water and goodness. Let's look in the mirror. Claire invites us today never to stop. Stop before that mirror. And keep seeing that immense love. Keep seeing a humility that said, yeah, I'm God, but 
I'm not going to hold on to that. I'm, I want to walk with you so that you can see a companion. And yeah, you'll see that you don't need anything. <laughs> that all you, all you have is already possessed. It's my goodness and grace and rely on me for the things that will come. She's always known for poverty, isn't she, Claire? Holding on to poverty. But uh, remember, I, I, I was telling somebody the other day, you know, Reed Armstrong, anytime she talked about Claire, he had that chlorometer, you know, Claire. It's always so tender. And I really hate the name poor Claire's uh, because it, 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 oftentimes it, it, it could come out like, oh, the poor Claire's, poor things, you know? Oh, the poor Claire's, poor things, aren't they? Uh, you know, when, when the whole title that eventually, I mean, remember what Claire called her, her community, the Lesser Sisters. That was the first title, the Lesser Sisters, just like the Lesser Brothers. And then they came to be called the Poor Ladies, not the Poor Claires, right? The Poor Ladies. Ladies who were espoused to the prince. Lady, a lady of the castle, right? A lady what? Uh, like Hail Lady, like we call Mary, right? Uh, the Lady of the Castle. Hail, uh, they were poor ladies, rich in the poverty of God's goodness, right? She saw that as a wonderful thing, and she wanted to hold on to poverty, but she didn't want to hold on to poverty. She wanted to hold on to the wealth of, of, of the king, right? His wealth was in his poverty. The richness was in, in the nothingness. And she tells Agnes at one point, with all your power, hold on to nothing. And nothing was a something. I mean, isn't that something? I mean, you have to hold on to nothingness. <laughs> hold on to that. No, don't, don't let it go or else you'll lose your dependence or you'll lose your sense that you're going somewhere else. Hold on to that nothing or else you're going to think something else is better and satisfying. Keep walking with the nothing. And never let it go, she says. Never let it go. Through the intercession of Claire, may we be that rich in poverty. Huh? May we be that rich in confidence in our God who leads us and espouses us and holds us to God's heart so that we too might be able to rejoice in the richness, in the richness of God's total nothingness. Amen.